Hey everybody, this is the second half of my conversation with Brian. Uh, again, in this uh, in this part, we are talking about the Jennifer Senior essay, It's Your Friends Who Break Your Heart, that came out recently in The Atlantic. It was a lot of fun, and I recommend the the essay to you as well, which is which is quite good. This is, by the way, Jennifer Senior also wrote the the essay we talked about a while ago on the the family of uh, the, the the family of the 9/11 victim. Anyway, this is my conversation with Brian Platzer about Jennifer Senior's article, It's Your Friends Who Break Your Heart. So it seems like Jen Senior for The Atlantic mm-hmm. had a very different goal in mind. Um, and, it, yes. and correct me if I'm wrong here again, because that's the game we're playing today. Mm-hmm. But it seems like she just wanted to write about friendship. So she spent a lot of time thinking about friendship, had a bunch of ideas about friendship, cobbled together a bunch of anecdotes that don't really fit together. She doesn't really have a thesis. Um, And yet it's a a sort of a delightful romp through the mind of a 52-year-old who had some close friends and has some close friends and has some close friends who've lost friends and she's lost friends and she's reading about friends and she's smart and... Mm -hmm comes to some very, I, I think, um, fun ways to, to think about beginnings and middles and, and ends of friendship. Did you read it differently from how I did? So I, I read this as she read this fascinating, bizarre manuscript by Rebecca Wolf and Alyssa Albert, where they, they recorded a lot of their text messages and emails to each other over several years as their friendship dissolved. And it's an unpublished book. And Jennifer yeah, Senior, I found this so confusing. It's an unpublished book, right? How did she right. read it? Because she is, she knows them. She has some sort of semi-social relationship with them, and she was in contact with them. She said about a different project, with, and then the right, pandemic but she didn't talk about what that project was, right? No, because and, this is why. But so this is my thesis. I think what happened is that she read, she got hold of this manuscript because she was corresponding with them about other stuff. She with read it. Both she said, of them. She she has she clearly has a much closer relationship with Alyssa Albert because Alyssa Albert keeps chiming in with text messages throughout right. the essay. But I think she. Right. In her correspondence with either Albert or with both Albert and Wolf, she got hold of this manuscript and she read it and she was fascinated by it. And then she said, oh, but I can't review a book that isn't published. So I have to do something <laughs> else. And so she she then said like, well, actually friendship's kind of interesting. And so maybe I'll extrapolate from this. And it's sort of like, it's, an, it's, a, it's a very glowing review of a non-existent book surrounded right. by, surrounded right. by some like very, you know, like thoughtful and often insightful observations about friendship. I think that's kind of what happened. But either way, I but I like I also enjoyed it and, and thought she's like a good writer and she says smart things about friendship. She is a good writer. Can we dispense with a couple of the things that make me crazy about her writing before <laughs> sure, we get yeah, into please, the please. To, to the goodness of her writing? Yeah. She often throws in adjectives and I don't understand what they mean. So if you okay. if you take the the fir- the very top of this essay, mm-hmm. it is an insolent cliche, comma, almost, comma to note that our culture lacks the proper script for ending friendships. What does the word insolent mean there? I mean, I read it as it is like, this is the way you, you, you read, there's certain cliches where you read them and you have your response to them is that you feel insulted or as if the person who has, who has said it is presuming too much. It's the way actually I feel about the cliche uh, mentioned on the Lee Ricketts account the other day about, uh, about, 
uh, how to you throw off the shackles of tradition and technique to embrace a freer and looser form when you you're developing as a writer. Like I think. It but isn't implicit more, in the word cliche exactly what you are saying the word insolent does? No, because there's some cliches that are not insulting. There's some cliches that are just boring. But who does the who is insulted by the cliche? No, well, that's why the thing about the, the, what I'm saying is that I think she's describing her personal response to it. I don't think she's actually describing something that is intrinsic to this cliche. So she feels insulted by the cliche that she's so. beginning her essay think, with. Well, that is what she seems to be saying. I don't think it's a nifty phrase because I thought when I read, I mean, it stuck in my mind because I thought like I've, not, I've never quite seen that in, applied to cliche before, but I don't think it's actually describing anything about this cliche. I think it's just describing her personal response to it. Another trope she uses is to establish, trope isn't the right word, like, like writing technique, Tick. like part of her craft okay. is to also state things as though they are true without defending that. Like again, a little bit farther down. To Rebecca, Alyssa was impossibly vibrant, quote, impossibly vibrant, unquote, in a way that only a 30-year-old <laughs> can be to someone who is 41. What about a 35-year-old? What? what about a 20-year-old? What? <laughs> what? What about a 60-year-old? Like, only a 30-year-old? <laughs> It can be impossibly vibrant. Well, well it's to someone the, who is forty-one. It's, a, it's well, just a problem with being forty-one. Be when you're, you also, don't understand. But when you're forty-one, things get <laughs> things really narrow down for you. And it's a, it's I'm going to be forty-one. And, um, <laughs> well, you'll uh, you'll see how you start weeks. looking at thirty-year-olds. Things are going to change for weeks. you. In two weeks, am I going to see impossibly vibrant 30-year-olds everywhere <laughs> and try to explain what I mean by how vibrant they are? And people are be like, I don't know, man. I'm 42. I don't know what you're talking about. Or like, as a 39-year-old, I don't understand how you can find that person so impossibly vibrant. And then I'll say, no, 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 look, 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 look. Like It's like Rebecca and Alyssa. 30-year-olds, I find them impossibly vibrant, and I only find them impossibly vibrant yes it's a crazy thing to say but why does she fill her essays with these things i think like, she, yeah when i wrote for the atlantic i was so harshly edited i i every word i had to defend in in these ways that i think left a lot of my work um lacking in voice yeah, so, yeah. so to speak and this is I, and the editing on this I, was very I, light i mean she she has like a subject verb agreement error in the like the first section and yeah i, so, I, I no. wasn't going to bring that up because that seems petty but i agree i, I caught yeah. i caught that as well but right. how does she leave in an insolent cliche and why what does that mean that she is impossibly vibrant in a way that only a 30 year old can be to someone who is 41. so i'm reminded of something that uh chris childers said to me a few years ago about a poetry review i'd, I'd written where he He's like a serious scholar who like knows Greek and Latin and and like has translated thousands of pages of ancient poetry. And he said something to me about like how he was really impressed or really like, uh, you know, learned something from something. And I thought like, I don't, I said like, I, I just wrote that because somebody asked me to write it. And like, I don't fucking know. I don't even know if I agree with what I said. And he said, <laughs> he said, well, it's, you just say it with such presumptuous authority that it feels like, you know, and so I think like it creates a, an air of authority. And, and you're, you know, I think if you're not examining what she's saying, then it sort of feels like, gosh, she really is, she's really getting at something here. The, the problem with that in my mind is that when she speaks specifically about herself and extrapolates based on her own experience to larger thoughts, I think she's a spectacular writer. 
when you're in the middle age, she writes, which I am, open quote, middle age, middle, middle age, to be precise. I'm now 52. Uh, How old does she think she's going to be? 52, like <laughs> middle age is 35 people. Middle age is 35. All right, sorry, go ahead. When you're in the middle age, which I am, open paren, mid middle age, uh, to be precise, I'm now 52, close paren, you start to realize how very much you need your friends. That, I think, might be the thesis of this piece, although I'm happy to be argued away from that. There are the flora and the fauna in a life that hasn't had much diversity because you've been so busy. I think the flora and the fauna part are kind of weird and cliche. I don't understand sure, what they're doing yeah. there. But then this gets, I think, really good in a life that hasn't had much diversity because you've been so busy, so relentlessly, stupidly busy. I like that inclusion, so relentlessly, stupidly busy, because it punctuates what she's about to say next with middle-aged things, colon, uh, kids, comma, house, comma, spouse, comma, or some modern-day version of Zorba's full catastrophe. Then one day you look up and discover that the ambition monkey has fallen off your back. I mean, metaphors are all over the place, but who sure. cares? The children into whom you've pumped thousands of kilowatt hours are no longer partial to your company. Semicolon, your partner may or may not still be by your side, period. And what then remains? To me, this is generous, lovely writing because it grounds it in her own experience. She says, you know, the a partner who may or may not still be by your side, sort of allowing everyone to be welcome into this essay and saying, as a 52 year old, probably you're not ambitious as you were at 35. You probably don't have the same intensity of relationship and frequency of relationship with your children as you might have as, as when you were 40. So what remains? And, and to me, this does a wonderful job of setting up the essay, which is, uh, an attempt at figuring out what remains and the manner in which friendship is successful and um, unsuccessful in filling that vacuum. It's interesting. I read that the partner who may or may not still be at your side, I read that not as inclusion, but as uncertainty. By I'm your side. Both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but uh, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. And I, I think, think like, there's a generosity to it. Yeah. Oh, no, this is no, what I'm certainly. saying. And it feels like there's, this is where like a lot of what she's saying rings true in the way that, I mean, as with the 9-11 piece, like a lot of the, the observations she makes that do feel, you know, at least drawn from her particular experience, if not totally limited to it, limited to it feel very, uh, they ring true in the way that like good, good particular characterological observations ring true in a novel. And I don't, you know, like, I don't mind when she is very specific to her experience and, and not all of that applies to me, but it's still, yeah, like she, she says, you lose friends to success, to failure, to flukish strokes of good or ill luck. Envy, dear God, it's the mother of all unspeakables in a friendship, the Lulu of all shambles. These life changes and upheavals don't just consume your friend's time and attention. They often reveal un unseemly characterological truths about the people you love most, behaviors and traits you previously hadn't imagined possible. Those are brutal. No, I mean, I, I, um, I'm, I'm with you. I think this is her best mode. I think she I may be a writer agree. who needs another occasion to get to this kind of writing. I, I think that that could be right, but just so I understand, what do you mean by another occasion? Well, like it may be difficult for her to, well, I don't know, I mean difficult or whatever. Like it may be a matter of habit or a matter of uh, uh, her native you know, tendencies or whatever, but like the kind of writing she's doing about herself may not be something that is as available to her in a vacuum as it is in the context of a of an external story. That makes sense. I do think that this essay less uh, 
feted, celebrated, then the um, 9-11 essay is better because I think yep. the 9-11 essay would have been better as fiction. I think it would have been yep. better as a short story for a lot of the reasons that we discussed the first time we're getting in the various characters' heads would have been satisfying. Um, here, I think memoir mode is is really successful because she's talking about a variety of, of people whom she personally has met and she is at her best, as you just said, when she gets into her own life. I am a loyal friend, she says, talking about herself. Mm -hmm. I am an empathetic friend. I seldom, if ever, judge. Tell me you murdered your mother and I'll say, gee, you must have been really mad at her. I think that's a great line. I am quick to remind my friends of their virtues, telling them they're beautiful, which she's weirdly obsessed with in this piece. Maybe that's a gender thing, although I don't think it is. Everyone's telling everyone they're beautiful and, and um, as, as a way to be a good friend. On the negative side, I'm oversensitive to slights and minor uh, humiliations, which means that I'm wrongly inclined to see them as intentional rather than pedestrian acts of thoughtlessness. And I get easily overwhelmed, engulfed. I, I can almost never mentally justify answering a spontaneous phone call from a friend. And I have, for I have I have to force myself to phone and email them when I'm hard at work on a project. To me, I think this does what the best writing does, which is put language to thoughts I've had, but never articulated. Like I, I really am impressed by her um, ability to analyze her strengths and weaknesses as a friend. And, and that's, um, that's a real accomplishment there. I, I really, I really like what she does and her ability to, um, her ability to weave other people's stories in with this type of psychological self-analysis. Yes, uh, no, I, I'm, I, 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 I'm with you there, and I did feel, even in the places where my experience diverges from hers, the clarity with which she expresses her experience or the 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 edges of that distinction was was satisfying. So let's uh, talk a little yeah. bit about how your experience diverges from hers, because mine does uh, profoundly as as well. I have broken up with very, very, very few friends. Yeah. And I don't, she, she discusses, you know, now that she's in her mid-middle age, um, she discusses essentially lying in bed and that, that being the thing that keeps her up at night. You know, like the, the idea that the, the, the lost friendships are the ones that, or the, the aspects to her life that really sting. Um, again, I'm a decade younger than she is. Maybe that'll change. I, I tend not to see this stuff in gendered terms, but I, I could be wrong there. But do you do you look back on your life and, and say, yes, there are certain friendships that I wish I had maintained that I haven't? Yeah. Uh, not maybe quite in the same way. I mean, there's a little bit of her writing both in this essay and in the 9-11 the one that feels to me like the thing that everybody made fun of David Brooks for when he wrote that second mountain book, which is like, <laughs> hey, you know, when you've become an internationally famous and highly successful and extremely well compensated columnist for the New York Times, and then you feel like, well, what, what is there after this other than marrying my assistant who's 25 years younger than me? like. It feels a little right. bit like it's a Maslow problem, right? Like once right. you once you take care of like food and shelter, and then you take care of like basic accomplishments, and then you take care of a successful career, and then you take care of a happy marriage. Like what's left is friendship matters at that point, and there's something a little bit silly about that. You're saying, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think I, I do. Uh, I I am uh, so I have been very lucky in friendship, and having a lot of really close friends at different times and 
I'm, I've been particularly lucky because I'm so bad at making and maintaining friends. Uh, and so I do feel like, I mean, my, the, the like regret I feel is not even so much, it's more like the friends that I still consider friends, but have let things drift so long that like, I feel like I could pick them up. And when I do have contact with these people, like I do pick things up, but I, I do long for that. And but that's it. the thing yeah. that's that's what to me I found puzzling about the way that she talked about friendship in general almost as though it was a a romantic relationship in that there's sort of the the hot and heavy elation period the honeymoon period then there is a sustained period and then there is a breakup yeah. and that is not my experience. Even the friends I am not in touch with at all, I feel like if I wanted to be, I could have th that person in my life again. I mean, life again, life gets very small when you have small kids. Yeah, and yeah. that is is a component that maybe it is just the stage of, of life I'm in. That if you're not regularly interacting with my children, I cannot interact with you with, with, with any frequency and that might be um defined by the stage of life i'm i'm currently in but i i don't know about the, the sort of the, the intensity of a friendship that that it feels like yeah it she does feel discusses like that, that Alyssa yeah. and rebecca you know personify early and then that that we get examples of moving forward i think female friendships may be more perishable like, Why would I, that be? Maybe, I mean, maybe for the same reason that they tend to be more intimate. Uh, they're and more directed at each other rather than like m most of the really strong male friendships I've had. Like we cared about each other, but there was sort of always an external focus. It was all like a task or a thing. You know, Alice sent me like a silly cartoon about like how two guys wanted to hang out, but they couldn't think of anything to like to fix or any games to play or any like thing to watch. And so they couldn't hang out. And I think like there is, a, there's like an element of that to, to male friendship that that can make it clumsy and easy to make fun of, but also maybe uh, it's a little more, it has a little natural preservative to it. So like, I think male friendships are easier to revive after long, after a long time has elapsed than female friendships seem to be. I both wonder Maybe. why I, mean, fuck, I am I don't know. so. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating not because I disagree, but only because everything in me wants to disagree. Like I, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't. I mean, maybe that's socialized. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's you know. Well, that I mean, who can yeah, tell? Still, tell. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it certainly is true that that when I see my six and eight year old sons be friends, they are friends actively doing things in a way when I see the girls their age be friends. There are, of course, activities, but there is talking seems to be a, a, a more central activity yeah. making, within Making them. things I, up together, making, yeah, like there's a, it's more, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate these generalities. Um, I don't know why I hate them so much. Maybe I hate them so much because in my marriage, I, I play a lot of the traditionally 
mother role. I, I spend more time with the kids. I make less money. Yeah, yeah. I, no, me too. I, yeah, yeah. That. So I, I want to believe that that no gender, um, that the gender doesn't have any any real fixed meaning when it comes to these friendships. Yeah, so that has that has more to do with like. So before I read this article, I read a little Freud essay called "Morning and Melancholia," and it made me think about depression and about the depressive realism, which is this phenomenon that that does seem still to be like supported by psychiatrists today, which is that depressed people have a more accurate vision of themselves than not depressed people. And right. I, I texted you about this and asked you if you had experience with depression because my my perception of you was both that like you have a depressed man's accuracy in your self perception, but you don't have a depressed man's affect. And that's the both worlds. Yeah, yeah. And you and you and then you responded by asking if I had experience with depression. And in my autistic way, I said like, "Oh, here is a detailed account of my experience with depression." And your response was. I'm gonna see if I can find it because it, it like it like uh, shook me to the core. Um, you said uh, I don't remember what I wrote. I oh man, this was like devastating. Uh, oh no! You said um, <laughs> you said what? I'm sorry. That sounds very difficult. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, like, like I sh like I short circuited the conversation and no 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 well it, it, it's like, like automatons who had it, no, it was like, like it, it was it felt to me like a moment when you're like if you were like having a conversation at the urinal and the guy next to you said like I'm sorry I just don't uh, share those feelings it was like oh, oh God no I feel like like I like. I think what I said back was oh, like, because I don't think that's how I intended it at all. I think I, well, I think I you were being like a like, very compassionate, thoughtful man. Right. I think I was trying to be like, instead of continuing this like intellectual conversation about the manner in which one is depressed, <laughs> I should be a friend and say like, right. I'm sorry you are suffering. That sounds terrible. And I was mortified because I I thought like, oh no, I don't I don't want you to think I was trying to have a conversation about how I'm feeling bad and I want your support. Like I was trying like. Like because to me like that right. like that's but that would why be like the why worst. would that more, like, uh, I mean just I agree because it's yeah. vulnerable I mean I I well no also because it's presumptuous it's like it's like right like if I were like it'd be like texting you and giving you an emotional <laughs> chore rather than texting you and giving you like a literary chore it feels like I a very see. different and you're, economy you're, you're far more comfortable asking me for a literary favor than an emotional yeah. favor read this thing yeah. you will hate but don't say right. a nice one sentence right. text to me like. Yeah, <laughs> like I found my, I've gone to therapy uh, three times. I, I, I suppose psychologists three times. The first time was was incredibly helpful because I didn't know how to go on dates because I thought I was a repulsive person. Nobody would ever want to date. So you went to a psychologist I, saying, how do I go on dates? No, I went to a psychologist saying this girl who was my friend, um, she thought she wanted to hook up with me and be in a relationship with me, but now she doesn't. And I started crying. And clearly there was like more to that than, than what I thought I was going about. And, and it was that like, I had been, I was 19 or 20 or whatever. And I'd never had a, a, like a real, real relationship. And I, I saw a lot of people around me in college, like comfortably hooking up with one another. And I wasn't exactly sure how to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I didn't quite know what was wrong. And it took, I don't know, four or five months for him to say, oh, I see you don't think that people want to hook up with you? And I said, yeah. And he's like, 
no, you look good. Like you, you're, you're, you're like no worse looking than anyone else. Like, like you have a nice personality. Like people, like it's plausible for people to want to sleep with you. People will want to hook up yeah. with you. And I, I thought like, oh, and that, then I went and started hooking up with people. Like I just like needed to be told that. Um, so that was a time when therapy worked for me. And I understand yeah. that's not the typical way therapy sure, works. Sure, sure, sure. But I'm, after that, yeah. I went so to many therapy. Questions, but yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and you feel free to ask. But after that, I went to therapy two other times. One was after I had spent 11 years with the sole purpose of publishing novels, having three agented novels all fail. And I was really um, sad because I had dedicated so much time and effort to something that I was failing at. And there was all this stuff that I wanted to do in my life that I felt I could only do once I um, published novels, like write some like book reviews or criticism or sports journalism or other stuff that, that I was interested in. And that wasn't the, the, the year I spent talking about that wasn't helpful because I think I had a pretty decent sense of the situation that I put all of like my ego and emotional and financial and like uh, ambition eggs in, in one basket. And that basket wasn't laying or hatching or whatever it was. And I wanted something I couldn't get by just working harder. And I was profoundly frustrated. And I knew that there were other sources in my life that could make me happy. And that I, it was a somewhat arbitrary decision that I would tether my happiness to uh, publishing, but that was where I was and nothing he could say about, you know, self-publishing or, but your wife loves you would, would make me feel better. Then again, I went to um, therapy in the midst of profound suffering where I was, you know, pretty much an invalid for three years and I I couldn't live a a regular life or work or be alone with my kids or be a spouse to my, my wife, et cetera. And, and this different lovely psychologist tried to talk me through different implications. Like I understood what was going on. It was just like, my life was terrible and I was sad. So I, right, right. And I, I I know that those are oversimplified versions of of both the the usefulness of psychology, talk therapy, and the definition of depression, but but to me that's how I think about it. Like I don't think of myself as someone who is uh, by disposition depressed, but I am right. somebody who gets really sad when life is really hard. But it seems like your for you therapy was all breakthrough oriented like both the success and the failure of therapy had to do with with a with a realization a hundred percent and i kept on i mean i I think i was an awful patient because during the the second when i was going about professional issues he would say so i guess what we've established is that you won't be satisfied professionally in other more traditional ways. You need this one sort of eccentric, monomaniacally defined uh, achievement. And I said like, yeah. And, and I didn't know what the next stage was. I didn't know what the, w- without some revelation, without the, some epiphanic moment, I got confused as to what I was, what I was doing there. And I know that that's not right. a generous way to be a, psychiatric patient no like your 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 faucet was leaking so you called a mechanic like it's not like you, you were getting like you nothing that person was going to be able to do was going to fix your problem right whereas i think going back to the essay i 
do use friends to process daily life. That element of friendship, which is, I think, if not the most important part, one of the most important was entirely absent, I think, from Jen Senior's piece and incredibly important to my uh, quotidian existence. Yeah, I mean, she she seemed to, she talks about success and envy in a way, like she doesn't, in a way, like I thought you could do a whole essay just about that, but she, the, yes, like part of the, the subtext to a lot of this, because she would say things, she'd say things like, you know, uh, I don't feel envy today because all of my friends have had bad things happen in their lives. It's like, that's not, that's not the way that doesn't works. quite make right. sense. Like what you're actually saying is like, you're extremely successful. And so you're not envious of the people around you and you then don't talk to them about their envy of you. Uh, so what so, about, yeah. what about our, I mean, I, 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 I was thinking about, about envy that, that to me was the most important or the most interesting part of this essay yeah. that was under examined. Yeah. Um, and I, do you have any very literarily successful, artistically, commercially successful friends? Because I, I don't, and I, I don't know how I would handle it. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, I have friends like you who have um, done, been been sort of uh, celebrated for various accomplishments. I have friends who have published novels and friends who have been involved in making a movie or a TV show or something. But I don't, I don't have any like famous artists succeeding in a way that I would allow myself maybe to fantasize my success right. to, to be friends. Yeah. And I, I don't know how I would handle that if I did. I mean, I certainly have friends who are a lot more successful than me in a number of different ways. I mean, you, you, including you, envy for me is tr tricky because like, I think there are two, if you, here's another one of my, um, <laughs> my false dichotomous uh, uh, personality tests. Um, when you go to somebody else's house and you read the the spines of the books on the bookshelf, are you judging your friend or are you judging yourself, right? And for me, it's like, it's always, I read other people's accomplishments as a judgment on me rather than as like- uh, I judge my friend. You judge your friend? <laughs> I do, yeah. yes. Uh, yeah, I always think like oh, because who's who, but but I think that might be different among people we hang out with because I don't I can't remember the last time I went to a friend's house who had a a collect who had a live who had a bookshelf that was like nobody here has books in there like everybody in our neighborhood right. has an advanced degree and nobody has books that you can see anywhere right it's amazing like you walk through their whole house and there are no like every room Which is in our disappointing. house is I over with books pretty. it's bizarre I don't understand. I don't understand yeah. how they have, like, I don't understand where, like, we have too many books. Like, you see so many books in the downstairs of our house that, like, but then, like, the upstairs is more books. Like, I don't, I don't understand <laughs> what they're, what, like, what's happening. But, but that's, I mean, so I think, like, I, it's also, for me, it's just really hard. Like, envy is really particular because, like, the thing I really, really envy is the work. And so, like. Really? What does that mean? Well, like, I. I will feel like frustrated at my own lack of worldly success and then feel that acutely in contrast with someone else's or like I will be irritated if like 
a friend I'm talking to on the phone complains about some minor slight that also feels like, well, I would still love to be in that position to be slighted. Oh that yeah, way. that's the worst. Yeah. That's like, the worst. That, that's frustrating. But I think like the thing that makes me sick is when I read something somebody has written and I think, fuck, that's really good. And like, that's beyond me. Like that, that's, God, that's the thing that so, makes me sick. You're so genuine about, about art and poetry and writing. I don't, I can't imagine having that thought. I you don't have I, you, don't, you didn't have that thought reading uh, Andrew's novel, Andrew Palmer's. Novel. Like I felt that a number of times reading. It, I felt like fuck, like not. Like, oh, I don't think like he's a, the best writer, but like, like there's totally. so much in that oh, novel that I thought oh, like on a sentence Jesus Christ, level, this is really I, good. I think I think Andrew is a far better sentence writer than I am, and, and I think that he he's able to. Um, this is the Bachelor by Andrew Palmer, by the way. You you should all pick it up. Um, Still welcome I feel on the show, that, Andrew. Anytime. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> um, I feel that way. Um, really good, really good about, book. Genuinely, really good book. Yeah. I, I feel that way about Andrew's work, but I also feel like there are some things that I do better than him. And I also sure. feel that none of this matters because the literary landscape is totally arbitrary and capricious. And like, no one's going to read his book and no one's going to read my books. And it's yeah. all pretend anyway. And like, what is it? What does it matter that he was able to pinpoint an emotion or a character in a way that it would have either taken me three pages to do, but he did it in a paragraph, or he found a word that I never, you know, would have would have imagined uh, stumbling upon on on my best day? I just don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I mean, it's a little bit similar to what Alice was saying that she talks about her her idols in in, in a conversation that you had with her recently, yeah. and I can't imagine that like um i i'm reading um as i've mentioned previously it's taken me a long time because he's written a lot of pages but i'm i'm trying to read all of ishiguro uh ishiguro right now and he wrote a couple books which i think are masterpieces including um never let me go uh and and then a couple books that are almost masterpieces uh including clara in the sun and the one where uh uh He's a butler of a remains of the day. Remains of the day, and then he wrote all these books previously, and some of them are like super boring, and some of them are confusing, and the plot on a couple like don't really work. And I, I he I think is 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 probably the best living writer in the English language. Oh, but he, even even him, I don't. I don't know. I think he does some like really good stuff and he makes some mistakes and, and, and some of it is moving and some of it is boring. And I don't, I, I don't, not that I am a genius in any way. I, I think right. I, I, I have, I, I think I've read enough and I've, I've practiced enough to be able to some sometimes fall into a decent paragraph or chapter, but like you really believe that there are people out there working in a way that, that you are incapable of and you're jealous of their ability to do that. Because that is an emotion I haven't had since I was in college. Well, but didn't you just say he's the best writer writing? Like maybe it's not. I mean, maybe the question is like my my hope is that I could be capable of. My hope is like it's you know. But no, they're like they're books I read that I'm angry because I can't write them now because they've <laughs> already been written as what well, like they've already been fully realized by somebody else who wrote them. And if you feel that way about like living and dead authors. Uh, I mean, I don't, the idol thing, right. I'm, I'm with you because I think like it's hard for me to think about a specific person as like that person possesses some quality that I would aspire to. It's more like, it's the work. I mean, I envy the work. And then I get like, like the difference for me between envying somebody getting like an appointment that I didn't get 
versus envying a book that person wrote is the difference between like, Alice is going to yell at me about this, but like seeing like a beautiful woman with a guy and thinking, boy, she's beautiful and he's married to her versus like seeing your ex with a guy, <laughs> you know, like it's the, like, that's the difference. It's, it's like the difference between like, that would be nice versus like, oh, fuck. It's like, I'm, I feel poisoned. Right. I right. You, I love you. Joanna. I mean, I, I I'm be married to anyone else. Go ahead. Right. Well, well, I actually love my wife and never have loved anybody else. And I beautiful women as a genre. I don't like I don't. What's I don't the think big my deal, thought, folks? I don't think my no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not about what's the deal with beautiful women. No, my my point is not that. My point is that like beauty. <laughs> why did you and we? we <laughs> We did a little bit of this the last time also. I am um, spending like a half an hour with a very pretty person whom I find conversationally tiresome sounds like pure torture to me. So like, sure. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't, the, uh, jealousy of like, the, the type of jealousy is like, oh, look, that guy's wife is hot. Or I don't like, yeah, but he has to live with that. Per- like he has to spend all his time with that person like i don't that, that, that you're sure yeah 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 but, 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 but like that's that's, that, yeah. not, that's not the point my point more is that if you wrote a novel um mm-hmm. and you you have written a novel and i've read two of your novels and i think they're both better than any of my novels but even though i believe that to be true if one of your novels gets published and then no i think i'd be good with it I was going to say, and then is on the cover of the New York Times book review and you are then celebrated as the the biggest star in the world. I, I think one, I would be very excited for you. Two, I think I would try to get something for myself out of it because I know you. And three, I, I don't, I don't, because I don't think any of this has to do with merit. I don't think I would begrudge you that or, or feel particular jealousy. I if, I mean, you, I, I was what, what, sincerely rooting for Andrew's novel to to become a bestseller and to be yeah. seen as the the, the 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 masterpiece it was. So I don't. What 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 are you in? Do you what envy do you feel of whoever? Yeah. Before I published my first book, I was racked by crippling envy of anyone who published a book. I would go into bookstores and just go through books and say like, this book's worse. This is a bad <laughs> book. I, this is a terrible book. Why yeah. is this book published? Anybody I who had a book published, I would try to um, like spin the narrative to explain it away. Like, yeah, but his uncle, you know, is the guy who the literary agent owes her career to, or yes, but they know that, that, they would they could get a review in the times with him because he was already a something or yes but he you know she wrote genre in a way that sold out her whole family and i never would i i i immediately went to why they're deserving and why they got it for reasons i didn't so i was i was then when i did publish my my first novel there was very little joy i experienced but i felt profound relief like i i felt like Okay, like even when somebody was interviewed on the radio, like NPR, somebody I'd never met, and they'd be like, thank you, you know, David, uh, 
he is the author of and then like named two books that nobody ever read that like that has been out of print for decades i'm like oh like i like all i want is to have been the author of and then a couple books so i I found um tremendous jealousy then but then uh after i published my novel i very quickly thereafter um became very sick and the combination of feeling somewhat better now that I'm able to to live and work in the world and having published a book, I, I sort of accomplished my one arbitrary goal and feel very lucky about the rest of my life. And I, I think I'm, I don't, I don't feel much jealousy anymore, but I think life had to kick the shit out of me a little bit for me to, to get to this place. Why yeah. do you, do you, you do feel jealousy when you just see people write poems that you wouldn't be capable of writing? I feel, yeah, I feel envy of good, good work. I did, by the way, I, I can't remember if it was, I like did some dictionary diving recently, but it, it I can't remember if like it, the distinction came up in some little essay I read or something. Envy, I, jealousy? Because I don't, I wouldn't know it. The distinction between envy and jealousy. Yeah. Which I had never thought about, thought about, but so it is actually a meaningful distinction that I was like glad to learn. Uh, envy is when someone else has something and you want that thing. Jealousy is when you have something and you don't want someone else to have that thing. So you're, you are, we use jealousy to mean envy. We never use envy to mean jealousy. So like- Like you have to be a big asshole to be jealous? Well, not necessarily. Like I would say like envy well, give is, me an example where, where je- jealousy like is an acceptable your, emotion. Your wife, envy your, wife was, acceptable. your wife was flirting with a guy at a party. You feel a little jealous, right? Like that's like, you wouldn't feel a little envious. You'd feel a little jealous of like, I'm a jealous God. I'm not an envious God, right? Um, right. So I think right. like, which is why I would say like envy is only a poisonous emotion. Whereas, right, but that would make you, no, jealousy is the poisonous emotion. No, no, no. I think like, for example, I would say like in a, in a marriage, envy is poisonous. A little bit of jealousy can be healthy. Like a little, like can be like a, like a, like a, a little spice, you know? I see. Yeah. But how it can, can it be healthy in a God? Cause that part always fucked me up. Why is, why uh, would God be jealous? Oh, cause he's, I mean, he's, which is, which is part of like the, like monotheism. The like the Greek gods are all not, jealous. That makes sense. They're jealous, the but they're God. also, they're jealous, but they're also like poly. They're like, well, as long as there are yeah. enough fatted rams for me, you know, burned in my honor, then right. like, I don't mind that much. If you, no, I, I think like the, the jealous, like the jealousy of, of Jehovah is like, like this is what like the Protestants um, and the, the um, Muslims get wrong, which is that uh, it's not that there is only one God. It's that God is jealous and like, don't fucking look at those other gods. Only look at me like that. Like if you read, like if you, you know, if you read Gen- if you read the old Testament, like that's, there are tons of other gods in there. It's just that he says like, don't yeah. fucking think about it. Just, just me. Right. But then how does the tower of Babel fit into that? Uh, oh, well he's, then he's jealous of his, well, the tower of Babel and the garden of Eden are both instances where he's jealous, not of other gods. He's jealous of his, <laughs> it's um, like the other cool shit people can do. And then, his, like, no, he's jealous have. of his, his own, his, uh, special powers. Because that's the thing he says before he banishes Adam and Eve is he says, now they will right. become like us. Um, right. And with the Tower of Babel, there were people were presumptively trying to reach heaven. Right. Um, which is the- So he uh, wants heaven for, God wants heaven for God's self. Yeah. I mean, it's the same as like when uh, the, the Titans piled um, those two mountains on each other to reach uh, the heavens and they had to get smited. It was a bad plan. So yeah, a little jealousy can be a, a good thing. A lot of jealousy can be a terrible thing, obviously, but- Okay. Uh, yeah. You convinced me. Right. It's not just assholes who are jealous. It's, uh, it's, it's a different the sign that you value what you have. 
Yeah. And but but isn't that only with zero sum things? The reason why I said only assholes are jealous, because I didn't think of it as a zero sum game. Right. Yeah, where yeah. is there any way is there any way to be jealous? Because I want a monogamous relationship with my wife and somebody else having a relationship with my wife would take away something that I have. Right. Well, is there think- any is there any example of jealousy being non asshole if that jealousy doesn't take away the thing from you. Well, I mean, I think you you are more you're you're funny because you're like you're more of a moral relativist, but you're also more judgmental. <laughs> like, yes, that's like you're, very tri- true. You're, you're like attributing assholishness, whereas I would just say like it's an understandable emotion. Like I think I think like children are often jealous of each other of like the attention the other one gets from the parent, even though obviously the parent loves both and can give lots of attention to both. And even yeah, that's like, when that's why kids are assholes. Like. Well, <laughs> Maybe. Like, think, like, yeah, like it's people, fucking horrible. Yeah, I think like a, a marriage is probably one of the few places where jealousy can be can be healthy. I think like there's jealousy among friends. You know, if like uh, if you if you started doing a podcast with John Carrillo and like blew off Sleevick, it's like I would get a little jealous of that. You know, um, <laughs> though I would also want to listen to that podcast. Yeah, it's <laughs> good. Basketball and like uh, rock and roll. I don't, you know. Is that that's your vision of John Carrillo? Basketball of, of, you, of you and John Carrillo doing a podcast. Oh, I see. All right. I uh, I won't be a jealous or an envious man. And I appreciate your helping me make that distinction. The 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 story I found in what maybe just because it was the it was the male one, but the story I found like most Oh, that weird shit with the ten thousand dollar check. Which I um yeah, which I so so she tells the story of this these guys at Kahneman and Tversky, which are these uh sociologists who who are partners, and one of them gets Oh, that's a different like, male friendship one. Oh yeah, you can tell that one, which is awful also. Yeah, it's awful like one of them gets like almost in like a comical way, gets like so much more that's like credit almost and the glory, story of Joe, even though they're like they're right? partners like, and like the other one who yes. gets gets less credit does more work and they like it's so lopsided and the guy's such a jerk to his friend and the other one's so like long suffering that it's just it's just excruciating i do like that's a story i've heard told in other so like that's the like this this essay has least a monopoly on that story but it's still found to be like yes. the most the most like yes. gut-wrenching part of this essay so it's definitely worth uh, reading the, the kahneman and tversky saga uh what's the $10, sure. check, I, dollar check one again? i thought you were telling about she's like by the way before I end this story, before oh, I end God. this essay, let me tell you about my friend David. So David once noticed a curious thing about one of his friends. Before the 2020 election, he bet his friend $10,000 that Donald Trump would win. You know, not like noticing a curious thing. This is just like a bizarre, right. it's a bar, bizarre thing. It's happened. the weirdest fucking thing I've ever heard, right? Like I don't, $10,000 is so much money. <laughs> and like, I don't, you know, and she knows that because she's like, David isn't rich, but he figured the move was the ultimate hedge. If he won, at least he got 10 grand. And if he lost, hey, great, no more Trump. She says he's not rich, but then the way she describes him behaving, like he he's rich enough to like, yeah. Pay like, 10 grand? He just like wrote a check. To pay so it like whimsically. The, to like, right. So David in the beginning, so Trump, as you know, lost. Um, and David wants to have some fun with his friend. You know, these two guys, they're just some wacky guys. So David... Um, decides to pay his friend in in, in uh, awkward increments. So, quote, he tried provoking his friend, sending him a check for only $15.99, pointing out that they never agreed on a payment schedule, unquote. And then his friend kills himself. 
and I have, well, wait, I wait, have, wait, 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 wait. Oh, okay, no. sorry. All right, his all right, friend, all right. His Fine, all right. I'll do yeah. it properly. I'll do it <laughs> properly. Christ. So he tried. He tried provoking his friend, sending him a check for only fifteen ninety nine, pointing out they'd never agreed on a payment schedule. His friend wrote back a sharp rebuke, saying the bet was serious. Okay. David then sent him a check for ten thousand dollars. As one does, I guess presumably the friend didn't cash the original fifteen ninety nine check, or else the check would have been for you know nine thousand nine hundred and eighty four dollars. Yeah, but yeah. Show off your math skills. Instead, his friend wordlessly cashed it, and then his friend commits suicide. Yep. This, this by the way, like... <laughs> by the way, David had another friend. The uh, the, the the friend of David committing suicide made david want to reach out with other to other friends as one might i I get that uh david was blunt with that friend telling him in his email that a good friend of his meaning david's had just died by suicide there was nothing he could do about it but he could reach out to those who are still alive those who he'd lost track of people like this third friend would he like to catch up sometime david never heard back distraught he contacted someone the two men had in common. It turned out his friend's life hadn't worked out the way he wanted to. Presumably, this friend could not just cut $10,000 checks on a whim to a friend based on a lost bet. He didn't, I added that. That wasn't in the essay. He didn't have a partner or kids. Back to the essay. His job was one he was proud of. He lived in a, quote, backwater, unquote, town. Jesus Christ. This is again, in a backwater one of town. The you same don't shit wanna... that came up in the fucking yep. 9 11 article. Exa- yep, exactly. Exactly. Even though David had made it clear he just wanted to talk about all days, this man couldn't bring himself to the phone. And the moral of the story, I can't imagine this story has any real moral, but 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 Jennifer Sr. says the moral of the story, at this point, David was contending with two friendship deaths, one literal, the other metaphorical. You know what I realized, he said to me, at this age, if your romantic life is settled, and David's is, it's your friends who break your heart because they're who's left. Oh my God, you know what I realized? I don't know any of my friends and I'm an <laughs> asshole. I, he didn't realize that his friend, I mean, his friend who he thinks matters to him, this friend was living in a backwater town and he didn't he didn't do anything about it. He allowed his friend to live in a backwater town. You know what? Uh, you yeah. you didn't answer my email and the same thing happened to me the other day when my other friend killed himself. Committed suicide. And those are the same thing. To me, they re- register friends in exactly the same Friends break your way. heart. They break your heart, friends do. You this know is like, to me, like the you... subtext of this whole article was like with both with that and then with the, the, the Albert um, Wolf breakup and the Kahneman. Like this, this is like, this is an, like, and her, like her quietly throughout the whole thing. This is an article about like very successful friends being jerks who don't pay attention to their less <laughs> successful friends. I totally agree, especially in like the in the in the initial relationship between the two women. It seemed like you know, like Rebecca and Elisa both had issues. Like they both had problems with the friendship. Uh, one of them was depressed and near suicidal, and the other one mocked her for being depressed and didn't think depression existed. You know, you're like, well, wait a minute. That's again, right. You shouldn't mock your friend who's right. depressed. Being and that, that, that's asshole. the moral of that story. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. No, is, she's like 100% in the wrong. Like it's just right, like, it's, exactly. it's like, this was complicated. And it's a little, you know. Okay. You know, one one friend is depressed. The other friend is uh, mocking their friend for depressed. It's complicated. One friend is alive and wealthy. The other friend is dead from suicide. Like it, there is a an element where 
in the examples, we tend to uh, oversimplify other human beings. Whereas when Jennifer Senior is writing about herself, she's really damn good at it. Uh, can on a, an extremely petty level, because this this article has one mention of poetry, uh, can I just say that when she praises Re Rebecca Wolf as the impressive, you know, having it all lady who founded Fence Magazine, a haven for genre resistant writing, <laughs> bullshit. That is not what Fence is. Fence is an incredibly boring cautious magazine that publishes <laughs> shitty nonsense poetry by people who have already been successful. This is the same Rebecca Wolf who was like quoted in an article a while ago about how like, well, I publish a lot of people who come out of Iowa because I guess like Iowa thinks they're good and that must mean they're good. I mean, it's just the worst, the worst. I was like, I couldn't, I, I was actually shocked when I read this and I thought like, oh, Fence still exists. I thought it folded because nobody fucking reads it because it sucks. But yeah, no, great. But, I'm, glad, I mean, I'm very glad I, for her. I'm very happy for her. I, uh, you know what? I have nothing to add. Well said. <laughs> Someday we will talk about how you should never show your writing to anybody who's, or anybody you know personally, I guess. Is the <laughs> yes, the problem is though, if you never show your writing to anyone you know, no one will ever read your writing. That's, that's true, yeah. Uh, you know what, the, the comparison that came to mind, I don't know if you ever read that old um, David Foster Wallace uh, uh, essay about uh, the porn awards. Um, yeah, that's in that's in one of his big collections, right? I, I think, read yeah, one of his be, big yeah. collections. In the, but, one of the something you hate that you don't want to do again, something I love that you never want to do. But I realized that there's a so like the short version of the the riff we've had uh, off mic before is that like it's horrible when you show your writing to a friend or family member who is not a writer, who's not like a a sort of a dedicated not, not necessarily a successful writer but like a dedicated writer and what it, what it reminded me of finally was the in that article it talks about how uh in the porn industry it's really hard to get any respect from your actors if you are a director who has not done porn like if you've not been on screen and, right. I, and I think it's not because when you show it to other writers you're showing work to people who have like have enough craft and enough perspective and enough it's because you're showing it to someone else who's also been just irredeemably humiliated by like some creative effort that is that is flopped like that's you really like someone yep. else like strangers have seen and mocked you naked and so you exactly feel like exactly. i can show you this that sounds exactly right it's the yeah I, also interesting i i have just thought about this now is that all so many of these examples in the jennifer senior piece are writers right who yeah. might who might sabotage their own friendships. Like there, there just might be an element of like, yeah. if two friends are emailing each other, there's not going to be this battle of like intellectual one-upsmanship if they're just like one's a dental hygienist and the other one is a plumber, where if they are poets and writers, eventually you're going to get to some maximalist insanity where you're writing the truth is I am wary of you. When you say you are wary of me, it reminds me of something. Oh yes, it's when I told you I was wary of you. Which That's also not makes normal you wonder, people like, talk. Like when in the course of the this correspondence did they determine that they were going to pub make and publish a book out of this correspondence? Like at some point I assume they stopped day just one. You, oh, you think, think day, from day one they were tight, like quietly saying to, to themselves whether they'd agreed on it or not, like that we're going to publish all this shit. Oh, God, yeah, Adam, we'll get a we'll we'll get a book out of this, right? Do you do you ever have that thought with private correspondence? No, never. It's just it, the thought's terrifying to me. Like it would, I but wouldn't be able to. You can also tell people. 
you know, you t- you can tell people in their writer mode versus their real person mode. But there's and also a difference between these examples like, are in their writer mode. Well, but I see. I think like there's a there's like a there's a an uncrafted personal exchange versus a writerly. But for me, like the writer mode that that I go into or that my friends will go into feels like it's like a it's a it's a writer mode for a private audience. Like it's like you're right, able to right, make right. a certain it's, kind it's, of joke that you would never want to make in public, but you're totally. doing it for it's a your performance. Friend. If it's a performance for an audience of one, yeah, uh, but it still but is still a performance. So you're right. It is satisfying. And it's, it's something that I get a kick out of trying to get a kick out of individual friends Yeah, in a way that it would feel. If I knew that somebody was not, reciprocally performing for me but doing so for like posterity or like a larger readership or something i think that i would end that friendship i think that would be my one example of um, and and that might be what happens here like it just it yeah the the project overran friendship like if you're if you like at brunch and you realize your friend's recording you right exactly yeah no, that seems exactly. that's, that's great. Well, thank you for spending way too long talking about these two dubious, if well-written essays. Uh, I can't wait till next time when we when we spend the whole time only talking about the four humors. Um, bile. Well, there are two biles, right? So at least two you, biles, you got, black bile, yellow bile. Yeah. yeah, you got enough biles to go at least a couple minutes. Yeah.